science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it out. It was that golden moment because science was on my side. Hi, everyone. I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. This week's story is from Aparna Nancherla. It was recorded in May 2016 at the Green Space in New York as part of a show we produced in partnership with Public Radio's Studio 360 with Kurt Anderson. Hello. Thank you. Uh, so, how is everyone? Good? Good. Great. Uh, I've never told this story before, so I'm just going to... Here it goes. Uh, I'm glad I did it, partly because it was worth it, but mostly because I never have to do it again. Uh, Thus spoke Mark Twain, and his words can apply to a lot of things in life. He could be talking about bungee jumping, uh, paper mache, going off of heroin, like many things fall under that umbrella. In my case, it applies to high school, and I don't think I'm alone in that. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of people have a tough time in high school, and I feel like the few people who cruise through, like they're looked at askance later in life, as if to say, oh, so that's too bad, you peaked so young. Uh, yeah, I feel like Malcolm Gladwell wrote a whole book about it. So, so anyway, just to give you a little background, I grew up in Northern Virginia, and uh, at the end of eighth grade, basically I had gone to private school for the past four years, and it was like a fancy private school, uniforms, Christmas play, the works, and I was all set to go to high school, same school, I uh, had my, you know, carefully cultivated social circle, I was ready for a lax dress code, I was ready to go, but there was one little catch, in my county there was this very fancy public magnet school that specialized in science and technology, and uh, you had to take a test to get in. And I had no interest in taking the test, but my parents are both first-generation immigrants from India and doctors to boot, and it's not a stereotype if I say it, uh, so don't even think it. But they were like, they were like, just take the test, you know, like you don't have to go, just take it to prove you got the stuff, and uh, and then if you get in, then you can decide if you actually want to go. So basically they were like, you can burn that bridge when you come to it, but just take the test. Uh, so I took it. Because, you know, nothing motivates a teenager more than, uh, than the, to commit to something after boldly pronouncing something like, fine, I'll do it. So I was like, fine, I'll take this test. You want me to take this test? I'll take it. Uh, and the weird thing is I got into the school, like, with no, like, I didn't want to get in, but... You know, I was a good student, I will admit that, but not for the right reasons. Like, I wasn't passionate about school, but it was more just, like, something to do. So that's why I was a good student. I don't know what that says about me, but I do remember on the test, like, the essay question was just, do you think computers will ever become obsolete? And I remember it was the first time I answered an essay question by creating, like, the shakiest thesis of all time and just, like, meandering around an answer and articulating nothing of actual substance, which I feel like is a very valuable skill as an adult. Like, we're, we're huge fans of that. Uh, this was really a breakthrough in that way. Um, 
But also, this was the 90s, so was, you know, the iPhone was just a twinkle in Steve Jobs' eyes. None of us knew. Uh, and when I got in, my parents, of course, changed the game again. And they were like, well, you got in, you know. Just go for a year and then see how you feel. I did that little parent twist. Uh, so like many, you know, second immigration immigrant children before and after me, I was just like gently but firmly pushed towards my bright STEM future. Uh, and uh, just a note about the school, like there was a very, uh, you know, hard curriculum. Like a lot of the classes were already like set for you all your four years, especially in math, science and technology. And while you could test out into like a higher level, for most kids, it was a uh, Biology as a freshman, chemistry as a sophomore, physics as a junior, and then the coveted geoscience as a senior, uh, paired with like an intensive lab that you also had to pick. And I only bring this up just to give you an idea of like how academically rigorous this school was. Like it was basically like there were a lot of eggheads at my school. And I don't mean that in a pejorative sense. Like, I mean, there were like some really smart kids. Like some of them didn't have the social skills to like remember to wear two shoes every day. <laughs> but they had like the ability to create a robot that would do it for them. Like they, they, they were very advanced. Uh, and the point is, like, a lot of kids, they knew what they were doing there. They belonged there for a reason. I didn't really feel like I knew how I fit in. And so one of the first big assignments as a freshman uh, for biology class was that you had to enter a project in the science fair as a group. Like, the science fair was uh, optional your, the rest of your high school career, but as a freshman, it was mandatory. And uh, they put together groups, like most school projects, by random chance. And my group was a very uh, hodgepodge mishmash. Like, I would say there was one girl who was very popular in my group. Let's call her Kelly. Uh, and then there was a very responsible achiever girl. Let's call her Michelle. Uh, oh, wait. Oh, wait. I guess that makes me Beyonce. That's weird. Um, uh, but... Yeah, that's weird, but I feel like it fits, you know, I, I, I think that actually it works out well. Because um, even then I did consider myself an outlier of sorts, you know, like a, like a rogue star that people weren't ready for yet. Uh, so the topic we chose, uh, which you've heard about a little tonight already, was environmental science. And this was not a time yet in which like climate change was like hashtag trending, like this was an earlier time in environmental science, like, you know, acid rain had been a hot button issue for a while. People tried to save whales and the rainforest and whales again, like, it, it, you know, peace frogs were on shirts, but it, it wasn't like, it wasn't as motivated as it is now, but we were like, you know, the earth matters. So we picked basically for our project, um, me and uh, Michelle picked the project and then Kelly worked on being popular, which is a full-time job. Uh, and what we did for the project was we specifically looked at how aluminum nitrate, which is a chemical compound that's found in like fertilizer and a lot of, uh, you know, run chemical runoff, like how it affects uh, populations of organisms in water. And the organisms we chose to go with were paramecia for our experiment. Uh, if you're not familiar with paramecia, they're a one-celled organism, uh, similar to amoeba in that they're completely dispensable and considered free-range for any type of scientific experimentation. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, so our project was pretty straightforward. Basically, we had these solutions of paramecium in water, and then every day we would add a little bit more aluminum nitrate and see how the populations were affected. And uh, and you're like, oh, how did you get paramecia? That's a great question. Uh, like most one-celled organisms, we got them on a biology from a biology catalog uh, order, or you could also get them on Tinder, I guess now. Um, <laughs> another popular place but the one little sort of hiccup in in the research was that there was like a holiday break in the middle of like uh, our experiment so basically one of us had to take the data home and and do the project from home and we were like kelly you haven't really carried your weight until now so maybe you'd take it to your house uh and you know kelly's game she, she in her favor she did agree to do it but then the paramecia never actually made it to kelly's house because uh she left them outside during tennis practice and i'm sad to say they all perished in the cruel sun uh, and I would imagine the last conversation among them was something like, Phil, I thought the aluminum nitrate levels were bad, but this heat is oppressive. <laughs> and then the other one's like, yeah, Pablo, and to add insult to injury, I hate tennis. Um, I tried to add some diversity in my paramecia casting. So, you know, we reached a real impasse with our project. Uh, our girl group had to have an emergency meeting, and there was not enough time at this point to start our project over again. The science fair was coming up too soon. And, you know, we couldn't forfeit this early in our high school careers that with a gaffe this big. Uh, so, you know, like with the intensity of like a gathering of witches under the full moon, we were like, we can't tell anyone about this. So we were like, we're just going to use our earlier data and then extrapolate the rest, you know? Because that's a thing you can do. Uh, and, you know, it's like, I know it was wrong. Like, we all knew it was empirically wrong. But it's like, what choice did we have? Like, if anything, we were kind of operating on the plus side of plus or minus scientific error, but you need that half. Uh, and... For some reason, we completely excused Kelly from any accountability. We were just like, yeah, it's very hard to maintain your position as a cheerleader. She was a cheerleader. Uh, you, you couldn't have known. Uh, so, so even though we didn't want to work together before, now we were bonded together in this like sick, low-stakes version of I Know What You Did Last Summer, uh, <laughs> starring Paramecia. And... Uh, you know, we swore secrecy among the three of us, and I hope the statute of, lip, you know, limitations is up on that, because here I am uh, talking about it pretty openly. But it's like, isn't that the last step of the scientific method anyway? It's like, finish your experiment by all means necessary. I feel like that is a step that you don't talk about. Uh, and... The truly twisted part to me was that we took our uh, our paramecia back to the lab and then I kept adding aluminum nitrate every day like a true psychopath. Uh, mad scientist, like, everything's going great. Uh, I was like, here I am. Where's my Nobel? But so... 
so then fate had a really weird twist in store, which was that, uh, so then we took our, our project to the uh, school science fair, and you know there were prizes in every category, and I don't know how this happened. Some way, somehow, we created a great cover story, I guess, because we got third place in our, in our, <laughs> I know, I know, that's really a testament to us, I think. Um, that's really what that is. And now it was like the stakes were even higher. Like we had to go to another level of science fair. And I was like, well, now there's really no way we can come clean because it would, it would, uh, you know, a type, a scandal this big <laughs> could unravel the scientific community as we know it. Uh, the only honorable thing to do is to go to the regionals, lie through our teeth, uh, boldly misrepresent ourselves confidently as the American way. Uh, <laughs> And of course, that's what we did. We went there. We told our story again. No one was impressed at regionals. We were like, thank God, we can just slink out of this and never talk about it again. I mean, we had like the blood of two orders of paramecia on our hands. Like, don't think we weren't up at night being like, I hope they're happy wherever they are. Uh, and so I guess, uh, you know, I, I've thought about this story often because it's not something I'm proud of. But I was trying to think, you know, what lessons can, can you call here? And I think one of them is definitely, like, at the end of the day, pick a career where you can spin your lack of integrity into, like, a cheeky life lesson. That's a fun one. Um, uh, yeah. You know, it's like what we did was very wrong, but I almost feel like because it was a group effort, it, it diluted our individual wrongness, uh, which, which interestingly enough is a principle in psychology, which I uh, later majored in and did a thesis in and did not kill any experimental or control groups because um, my subjects were humans, so that would be more serious, but... You know, you can cheat alone, but if you do it with other people, there's kind of a circle of trust where you're just like, we're in this together. And, you know, if you have perfectionistic tendencies, it's kind of like you feel like a fraud all the time anyway. So to actually be one felt in some ways liberating. Um, I was like, this is what I've been talking about. Uh, and in the end, I feel like science, despite its emphasis on like hard data and irrefutable proofs, is like is as subject to uh, the fickleness of human nature as anything else. But I feel like if you asked our paramecia, they'd just be like, "Go to hell." Uh, thank you. That was Aparna Nancherla. Aparna is a stand-up comedian and writer who has written for Late Night with Seth Meyers and appeared on Totally Biased with W. Kamau Bell, among many other programs. Follow her at at Aparnapkin, A-P-A-R-N-A-P-K-I-N. Thanks to Studio 360 with Kurt Anderson for partnering with us on the show. If you've never listened, Studio 360 is a Peabody Award-winning radio show and podcast about creativity, pop culture, the arts, and ideas, hosted by novelist and journalist and Spy Magazine co-founder Kurt Anderson. Follow them on Twitter at, at Studio 360 Show. If you enjoyed today's story or are a fan of the podcast, please consider writing us a review on iTunes. It's a great way to help new listeners find the podcast, and we love sharing these stories. We're also grateful for the support of the Simons Foundation, who helped make this all possible. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Weck, Darren Barker, R.A. Daniel, Christine Gentry, Skylar Bear, Shane Hanlon, Rosie Waldron, and Liz Neely, with help from Ariel Miller. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth, and the theme music is by Ghost. 
Special thanks to The Green Space for hosting the show, and to Science Fairs for bringing out the best in us. Thanks for listening. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.